0: Perfect. OK. Should be uh, should be good to go. OK. So welcome to the Practice yeah. Behind the Obscure podcast. And today I have a special guest, Amandeep Singh, or Aman for short. <laughs> and so yeah. Uh, yeah. I recently saw him on a friend of mine's podcast. And he mentioned a lot about how he practices um, occultism over there in India and the Agour tradition. And we got to chatting that he's uh, involved in many different kinds of traditions. So I thought it'd be great to have him on today. So, uh, can you introduce yourself and a little bit about how you got interested and how you got into these occult practices and uh, spiritual traditions?
1: Hello, Ryan. Uh, It's nice to meet you. And, uh, uh, yeah, as per my brief introduction, my name is Amandeep Singh. And uh, as you know, I'm from India. And as you know, that people say that uh, even in Hollywood movies or, you know, even in cinema all over the globe, India is shown as the land land of uh, uh, tantrics and aghoris and magic and snake charmers and people who love some kind of handicrafts and, you know, a lot of stuff like that. A lot of music, dancing and occult. Everything is backed up by occult practice, worship, gods, so the land is very ancient and hence uh, my practice comes from a very ancient background which comes as a lineage you know and which is ancestral as well if it is not in your ancestry then you can link yourself under those masters who have got certain ancestry yeah something like that so i'm born in a Sikh family uh, I hope you know about Sikh faith and uh, they are half warriors and half saints. Mm -hmm. So everyone in Sikh faith is baptized as, uh, you know, half warrior and half saint. So uh, even Guru Gobind Singh, we have 10 gurus in uh, Sikh faith from Mm -hmm. Guru Nanak Dev Ji to Guru Gobind Singh, who was finally, uh, you you know, who had to pull up the sword because of certain social conditions and uh, because of a lot of uh, you know, other countries and you know tyrant kings invading the country and the region of country. So to save many souls, he had to pull out the sword. So this is what our faith is actually where I'm born in. And uh, since starting the whole, if, if you talk about the feel, the feel and energy, and the set of rules, the way, the code of conduct of my life is coming from Sikh faith, in fact. And it comprises of lots of things. It comprises of lots of things. If you talk about Aghor, I will tell you a little about Aghor as well, how it is also related to Sikh faith. I mean, it is some total of everything. The only uh, difference is that in Sikh faith, it is a monoistic, uh, you know, uh, practice of one God.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's more like, you know, Bible. It's more like practice of one God. Yeah.
0: Right. But- right. I uh, I grew up in California and there were a lot of Sikh people there. And I never really, yeah, knew yeah. Much, uh, I never really got to know that much about it. They're from uh, mostly Punjab region, Amritsar, things like this. And yeah, uh, yeah. my impression was, I, I never studied it deeply or anything like that, but my impression was it almost seems like a mixture between Islam and uh the hindu faith it has some elements of both of them it seemed like from what i could yeah 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 exactly yeah obviously and, mm-hmm. and guru nanak was the founder is that right he's the founder
1: uh shri saying? guru nanak devji yeah he's uh-huh. the founder and uh he's considered to be the living soul and living uh embodiment enlightened soul which came directly from beyond you know is. Uh-huh. And rest all 10 gurus, rest all nine gurus are the same light of Guru Nanak Dev Ji. Mm.
0: That's what it was. I see, I see. And Almost like a reincarnation or a emanation, emanation. Exactly, of exactly. Nanak. Okay, okay. Exactly. And I did notice they had a, in California, some of them, they didn't cut their hair. They would, you know, wrap it up. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. The sword. Yeah. Something like a sword.
1: bandana.
0: Yeah, like a bandana. And then having the sword was also part of the tradition, too, right? As you mentioned, the partial yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, warrior. Uh, Uh, Mixture in there with
1: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, if you talk about, uh, if you, uh, if I can compare, uh, you just see the philosophies. I don't know the deep philosophies, but if you just overall see the philosophies, Knights Templars, they're more like Sikhs, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're fighting for the God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Sikh faith is something like that. Their worship is of one God, although they recognize the existence of many different forms but mm-hmm. yeah they worship only one mm-hmm. it's not that they are shunning or you know banishing or breaking uh, idols something like that no they the sikh faith understands the significance behind all the forms mm-hmm. they understand it deeply and the holy books talks about the purest form that you know mm-hmm. even if you worship many different forms at the back end there is one light, which is coming from up there, you know, you have to pick up that, you know, don't miss that, you know, even if you are doing idol worship, please don't miss that out, you know, that's that's the main current, you know, that which you have to grab, you know, so that's what it is. So Sikh faith is uh, very deep in terms of, if you talk about Hinduism, Hinduism Mm -hmm. is sum total of everything. You will find yoga, you will find Tantra, you'll find bhakti, you'll find, uh, you know, santamat practices, you know, followers of the saints. You'll find shivite faith who worship Shiva. You'll find Vaishnavite faith who worship Vaishnav. You'll find Brahma faith who who are more like Brahmins and, you know, uh, do a lot of rituals and Karamkandi Brahmins, something like that, who are the knower of all the ceremonial magic thing, yeah? Then you will find the Shakti faith, the feminine faith, and there are further bifurcations in it. But Hinduism is vast; it's vast. So, if you take out only the devotion part and worship, and and you know something like the feeling of Yeshua and Bible, you know, mm-hmm. and only uh, the outlook is different, attire is different, and only one thing is different that they are warriors too. That's it, mm-hmm. okay. and that becomes a Sikh faith.
0: very interesting i think it's one of the uh lesser known i mean people know about it in america and the west just because there are sikh people around but it's you know most people know something about the hindu faith yoga and you know traditions like that and uh, islam but sikh is definitely one of the lesser known faiths. i mean as far as for western people they don't know the details and things like that what what is the name of the holy book and i heard that i had a sikh friend i think he told me it's almost like a song or something like that it's it's comprised exactly exactly uh, uh, sort of oration or something?
1: If you if you uh, see uh, Western classical music, I have uh, uh, not studied much of Western classical, but I'm myself a musician into Indian classical, semi-classical music. So we are composers and singers as well. Mm-hmm. We are family of composers and singers. So uh, if you talk about Western classical, uh, something like scales, you know, napoleon major napoleon minor dorian uh, you know uh, libyan some kind of these these kind of scales are there in the same way there are ragas you know in india mm-hmm. so everything is written not as a phrase affirmation or sentence it is written as a poetry it is coming from above to the saint in their heart and then they're writing or making their disciples write there and then you know like a holy book is coming from beyond into their soul and they're making their disciples write, and they're writing they're reciting the poems actually yeah Mm -hmm. and they are in highly coded format many things are very simple and many things are just you have to read between the lines you know to understand them completely so everything is written in poetry and hence ragas are also told in that that this poetry has to be sung in this raga in this scale even this much detail is written.
0: Interesting, very interesting. What are some uh, typical Sikh practices? So in Hindu, you have like bhakti yoga and karma yoga and these different, uh, you know, idol worship and things like this, right? Uh, in terms of uh, yeah, yeah. Sikh practice, what is the, is it prayer? Is it memorization of the scriptures? What What do people do as their like personal practice or worship?
1: Well, uh, those who are hardcore, Six and <laughs> baptized as six. Yeah. Those people have to, you know, first of all, I have cut my hair, but they cannot cut their hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of their practices that they do not cut their hair. They have five Ks, you know, they call it five kakars. Yeah. One is kesh. Kesh means hair. Mm-hmm. They have to keep the hair, you know, it is part of their spiritual practice. Kesh. Another is Kanga. Kanga means uh, those who used to have, uh, you know, uh, just look at the picture of old Egyptian kings and queens. They used to have, you know, uh, their traditional African hair. But to maintain those hair, obviously, they would have wooden, special kind of wooden uh, combs, you know. So you do, they used to keep it in their head mm-hmm. so that they can manage their hair. So, comb is to, you know, uh, there are two things that you're doing it's physical as well in physical world you're mm-hmm. combing your hair but mm-hmm. in spiritual realm you are untangling your five uh, you know senses which are messed up you know mm-hmm. you're untangling your magical powers your spiritual powers you're untangling your life itself you know so kesh kanga uh, kara kara means this that i'm wearing
0: it's like a bracelet kind of thing
1: yeah it's uh-huh. actually uh, uh, you know it's made of steel uh, mm-hmm. traditionally what I am wearing is uh, not of steel those mm. who are actually of sick faith they mm. wear iron iron uh, uh, kada yeah mm-hmm. so it is actually used in martial art practices ah,
0: interesting so, okay like a steel knuckle from, like a steel knuckles yeah in yeah, yeah. Okay. okay exactly
1: exactly uh, uh, and mine is very small actually those who used to wear it they're actually this big mm-hmm. this this uh, thick mm. so that they can even uh, they wear three or four sometimes mm. so that even they block the swords like this
0: hmm well, that's impressive interesting interesting yeah, and apart you, from
1: that, it is considered spiritual protection as well. Just like we wear black threads, mm-hmm. enchanted and uh, we wear black threads for protection in the same way, this is a kind of spiritual protection
0: from the okay. Guru. Okay, interesting, interesting. And so then, mm-hmm. after
1: Kada, mm-hmm. there comes a Kripan. Now Kripan is the sword. Kesh, Kanga,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Kada, Kripan, and the last one is uh, for a warrior, you know, you have to have loose feet, you know you cannot wear tight pants and you do not expect your footwork to be very good. you know mm-hmm. If you have to do taekwondo, you have to have your legs free at least you know, so that mm-hmm. you can jump and do something. So they used to wear a kind of uh, they, it, it's, it's more like a boxer shorts, you know, but traditional ones, they tie it with ribbons, they have certain, uh, you know, uh, it's called kachara, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's for legs. So it does not cover the whole leg. It, mm-hmm. it is more like an underwear, mm-hmm. but it is uh, hidden under your gown. Mm-hmm. So when you are doing your, you know, sword practice, mm-hmm. your foot will be free and it's for good footwork. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, something like a spiritual chastity belt, something like that if I talk about it, that uh, uh, these sexual urges should be in mm-hmm. limit and control, something like that,
0: in spiritual okay. realm. Okay, interesting. And then, uh, so you're in the Punjab region. Amritsar has the, uh, I know the Golden Temple is one of the holy sites of uh, the Sikh faith. Is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. It is nearby. It is uh, just a 2 hours' journey from here.
0: Okay, is that one of the main, uh, is that like the Mecca of... Uh, the uh, Sikh Exactly, faith? exactly. Ah, okay. So, it
1: is more like a Mecca of Sikh faith.
0: What, what, what is the significance? Because I've heard a lot about the Golden Temple from Sikh friends back in the States, but what is the history or the special significance of that?
1: Well, uh, I'll tell you a little bit that, uh, as you uh, know, that Sikh mm-hmm. uh, religion has got 10 gurus, yeah? Mm-hmm. But the poetry, which is written in the scriptures, the poetry of only six gurus is there in the holy book and rest are all either Muslim or either old Hindu, 32 saints, approximately 32 saints. So it's not just the words of Sikh gurus which is written in uh, the holy book. Everything of old saints, be it Islamic, or be it Hindus. So 32 saints are there in that book, plus six gurus of Sikh faith. And rest four gurus have got their different books and different libraries, which are also considered holy. But uh, the main power is held by this book, which is called Shri Guru Gram Sahib.
0: Okay, and that's the main text. That's the main...
1: That That's the main text. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you talk about the significance of uh, Golden Temple, So Guru Arjan Dev Ji, which is, uh, uh, I can say, which is the fifth guru, Mm -hmm. if I'm, uh, if I'm right, he is the fifth guru of Sikh faith. He actually collected all the texts and created Sri Guru Granth Sahib Ji, you know, Mm -hmm. he he laid the foundation of uh, many poets and started that great work of, you know, creating the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, laid the foundations of uh, that pond, the holy pond, mm-hmm. which he, uh, you know, created with his own hands.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And his disciples created all that pond. And that uh, is like a holy seat. And it is called takht. Takht means seat, the holy seat of our, you know, uh, the holy book, the first seat which was created for the holy book to sit and rule mm-hmm. the Sikh faith. Mm-hmm. So it's more like a you know symbolic spiritual practice that we have uh, given it a value of a king. You know the whole setup of a gurudwara You know if you see the gurudwara and the way they keep the holy book on their head and yeah. the whole setup they cross the path and go uh, and put that book on its holy throne so it's the whole setup in which the old kings used to be treated
0: so the book is india almost like a king they treat it in the same book is
1: Mm -hmm. exactly so book is like a king so the first seat of the holy book of Sikh faith was here in amritsar which is called akal takht the
0: first seat uh, uh, okay, and that would be the Golden Temple, where the current golden- that would
1: be the Golden Temple. Yes,
0: exactly. Uh, I got it. Okay. Wow, interesting. That was a very good explanation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. so, and how, and you said you're about two hours from there, roughly.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's two hours approximately from here. This is Jalandhar. This city is called Jalandhar, okay. and uh, Sikh faith, uh, or I mean, uh, the gurdwara, Golden Temple, is approximately two hours away. Okay. Okay.
0: So uh, I guess to transition a little bit uh, you're t- we were talking a lot about Sikhism but also you are practicing Agor so can you explain maybe what uh, how how is that uh, distinguished from Sikhism or from Hinduism is it a branch of one of those what what are the specific philosophies practices uh, um, of your tradition of Agor
1: Well uh Agor is very deep first of all uh, i would like to explain a little about uh, this thing because so that you know if somebody is little more conservative about the sikh faith so you know i'll have to explain a little bit more <laughs> about this yeah so for me it's emotion a very deep emotion and i don't know why maybe i'm wrong but i don't know why even in sikh faith I can see the essence of Aghor. Yeah? Just look at the word word Khalsa, you know? Our religion is also called, Sikh faith is also called Khalsa Panth. Yeah? Now, what is Khalsa? Khalsa comes from an Urdu word which means Khalas. Khalas means pure. So, there is a phrase which is said by Sikhs. Raj karega Khalsa. That means a Khalsa is going to rule the world. Yeah, One day it's going to come that Khalsa at the end is going to rule the world. Now there is an essence to this. It doesn't mean that Sikh people are going to rule the world. <laughs> it means mm-hmm. that person who is actually pure from the heart, mm-hmm. the whole cosmos is going to possess that person one day and mm-hmm. his bright light is going to rule the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously people are going to come to him to, uh, you know, tell their uh, grievances, their desires. It He would turn out to be a counselor one day and he would be a spiritual guru and people would find that they are finding some peace around him. Mm-hmm. So he will definitely rule the world. So Khalsa is going to rule the world, yeah? Mm-hmm. So everyone who is into the esoteric path and if he is... A true wizard or a wise man, which this earth wants, actually. So that person is a Khalsa, and mm-hmm. that person is going to rule the world. In in the same way, like I have explained to you the Sikh faith, which is Khalsa. Yeah, mm-hmm. that means pure. Mm-hmm. Now comes Aghor. Mm-hmm. Aghor comes from uh, the explanation, a very deep feeling. Mm-hmm. Now, I will relate it a bit with your uh, esoteric theory of Western world, as above, so below, yeah? Microcosm and macrocosm, yeah? So, aghor is, which is neutral and Mm non-manifested, which is stable, and which is going to remain the same, ever. Mm -hmm. It's not going to change. And ghor is the design of manifestation. Mm -hmm. Aghor is neutral, and ghor is mm-hmm. the way of struggle, way of manifestation, way of dividing, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so how the things get created, this world has the design of ghor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah? We are living in a ghor world, but we have to become a ghor. So the person who is a ghor, he's, he's continuously trying to become neutral and he's continuously trying to become as a childlike. Mm-hmm. So a ghor is the one who doesn't understand the difference between urine mm-hmm. and Ganga gel, you know, <laughs> the holy water. <laughs> so that person, that person is aghor.
0: It's Just sort like of a non-dual, time. non-dual state or non-dual consciousness. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And
1: why I think aghor comes from this? There are a lot of uh, sacrifices told in aghor. It's called Chappan Bhog of Goddess and Gods. Yeah. In that bhog, there's, bhog means offerings, yeah? So there are a lot of offerings and sacrifices which are said. And in Sikh faith, the 10th guru and many gurus, they have laid foundation of such martyrism and such sacrifices that this gives me the fragrance of Aghor itself. Mm. They're sacrificing their sons in battle for humanity. Because they want to you know uh, teach lesson to the tyrant kings that humanity, everything is okay, all the rules, regulations whatsoever from any religion or from any law or from anyone are okay. They are made for humans, you know so human comes first. you know if you you know uh, keep the code of conduct first and human the second, obviously one day the tyrant rule is gonna come Mm -hmm. because he has kept the human heart, human feelings and human uh, feelings secondary. So it was to abolish tyrant kings and to banish tyrant kings from uh, the place. So the sacrifice, the kind of feeling, martyrism, so many wars, so much bloodshed that uh, they have received and done Mm -hmm. in order to save humanity and people from tyrant kings, just like Moses saved his people from Egyptian tyrants or Egyptian kings at that time. So, as so part it of the also story.
0: it also has social and political connotations as well, rather than only esoteric. It's very connected to this world, uh, as far as exactly society and social hierarchies and political exactly. uh, power and things like this. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly, exactly. So it is all connected. And this is what gives me the fragrance of Aghor. And if I talk about Aghor, I'm much more of an Aghor. I consider myself Aghor because uh, neutral has been my perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's more, uh, I connect with this word, the wizard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They also started calling me wizard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why? I connect with this word a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't think, that wizard is a title for me. Mm-hmm. I think it's an obligation for this planet Earth. Mm-hmm. What damage can I do on this planet socially, physically, emotionally if mm-hmm. I am not a wizard?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This world is full of, you know, narcissists. This world is full of mentally, you know, uh, you know <laughs> troubled people. And this world is full of many, many people who are just doing their duty, you know, but they are causing a lot of damage because just you know, they are just doing their duty, mm-hmm. but we have to think much more than duty now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's now an obligation. We want more healers. We want more educated people. Yeah, now wars should be over. So it's for me, gore and wizard, these words are more like an obligation. I think you should be, everyone should be the person crossing the road or mm-hmm. anyone, you know, around me, they should be wizards. They have to be wizards. There is a small wizard lying beneath them in their heart. Mm-hmm. They have to give food to him. You know. Mm-hmm. Now everyone should be a wizard. Everyone should be an Aghor. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of misunderstandings in this world, a lot of wars, because we are not neutral. You know? We have to be neutral. Neutralize the energy. Mm-hmm. Till the time we neutralize, it's going to swing like this. Pendulum is never going to stop.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. So there's a lot of practicality in this tradition bringing uh into the real world sort of using exactly using the um esoteric and the spiritual practice to ground uh create some sort of uh, equanimity or balance in this this world here
1: exactly 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 and in it's this, beautiful
0: yeah it sounds very interesting in this tradition is there some kind of initiation is the guru disciple relationship important is there an initiatory process or how, how does the uh how does the structure of it work
1: Well, I would like to explain uh, this uh, with an example Mm -hmm. of someone called Bruce Lee, you know, in his times, uh, with his wisdom as well, he was also screwed by a lot of uh, temples back there in his country, that why is he teaching such, you know, uh, elusive and secretive arts to the Western world? Yeah. And in the same way, might be, same must have happened with the Japanese martial arts and everything, I believe they have still been much more open than the Chinese martial art to the Western world. They have been much more giving, but still there have been certain secretive code of conduct and stuff stuff like that. In the same way, yes, many of the arts, even at some point, the classical music was a secretive art in India, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was never taught to anyone. Mm. one reason was that every good thing was kept for the kings, Mm. elite class and their families Yeah, Mm. and that's where the Aghor comes into picture Aghor is the one who doesn't require to sit on in front of a well maintained altar, even altar costs something What about that person who cannot buy anything? He's Mm -hmm. just a poor man, you know, Mm -hmm. where he will sit. What what will be his altar? Yeah, Mm -hmm. where he would start his ceremonial practice. Mm. In this way, if such big setups are required, then a normal man cannot do anything, you know, Mm -hmm. then that means he will not receive, you know, the blessings of God. No, that's not true. So Aghor comes into picture. He is the lowest person that you can see. He can sit on filth. Mm. He can sit on a throne. He can sit on filth. He doesn't care, you know. Mm-hmm. He requires least possible things in order to do the rituals and everything, because for him everything is neutral, yeah. And he invokes all the powers there. He uses nature.
0: Mm. I, I remember uh, for the Agor tradition, the something about the graveyard and the cemetery and ashes. This this yeah. this is a part of the tradition. Is that related to? kind of showing that you need nothing, like the absolute minimal, or what, what, what is the connotation of the graveyard and the ashes and this sort of symbols?
1: Well, uh, if you talk about the philosophy, ashes give you the feeling of being a stardust. So we are cosmic dust, we are cosmic ash. So if you just cross the realms of earth, you see the black space, everything is a cemetery. It's a graveyard.
0: Hmm. Oops, may have frozen here. Hmm, let's see. Oh, you froze. Uh, yeah. Can you hear me? You can hear me now? Okay, you froze yes, for about maybe 10 yeah. seconds? The video stopped. Okay, so you stopped with yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, everything's a graveyard. I think you stopped around there. You talked about stardust. The ashes uh, sort of imply uh, stardust.
1: Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So in uh, cosmic terms, everything is a cemetery, and the longest life is of death itself. Mm -hmm. So they worship goddess and God in the form of stardust, in the form of ashes, in the form of cemetery. You know, our heart should be cemetery. Why? There is a world. It is said that universe world that we live in. It's -hmm. mental. You know, Mm -hmm. one is physical world, which we see outside. And one is the inner world, which is the world of attachment. Mm -hmm. And we have preconceived notions here about the world due to which we attract certain situations in our life. Mm -hmm. If we clean, and dissolve this world, then the real thing comes, you know. We're not receiving the real energy currently. This mm-hmm. world has to be killed. This world has to be a cemetery inside here, you know. Mm-hmm. Loved ones, expectations, desires. It has to be burnt to ashes. Only goddess lives here.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Yes.
1: Yeah, so and in-, in cosmic self, mm-hmm. in cosmic self,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in cosmic self, you understand even in the Western tradition, every man and woman is a star. Mm-hmm. We are the part of stardust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So nice. that's cemetery concept there. Mm. So yes, if, if, if I, I, I I missed one point. You talked about the initiations. Yeah. Initiatory uh, Guru Shishya Parampara is there in uh, many Agori faiths. In fact, all Aghori faiths, but there are two kind of faiths and two umbrella terms and there are further bifurcations one aghori practice one seat and one lineage is for those who can get married you know because the god the god of aghoris itself he is married mm-hmm. shiva is married to parvati you know mm-hmm. they both are aghori so if the god of Agori is married so we can also marry, n- mm-hmm. no problems. You can have a girlfriend, whatever. Yeah, doesn't matter. But the other faith is for the one who leaves everything and starts living a solitary life. Of mm-hmm. course, at times, if there is a uh, you know, requirement of a goddess or a female figure is required and uh, he has got a feminine sadhvi, mm-hmm. a lady, he can do his practices with her. If she is also not available, then the whole cosmos is woman for him, you know, a goddess for him. So he worships the goddess in that way. So one is solitary path of a man. That's even, you know, those people cannot live back in homes. They cannot come back in homes because they have uh, you know burnt themselves into ashes as per the ritual, and they have given their body. They have already killed themselves in the real world. Mm -hmm. That's what they have done. So they they do not live, they are not alive. Mm -hmm. It's symbolic and one is my faith, which is we can get married and live in our families and you do not have to uh, go anywhere. We also go into cemeteries. We can also do all the rituals. It's only that it's for a person who wants to get married and live a normal life, yeah? and there are further bifurcations. Mm -hmm. So initiatory process is there, but for certain dark practices, I feel there, which can be a little dangerous because occult plays with your mind. Mm -hmm. And when the energies appear, Mm -hmm. they sort of sometimes possess you, you know, even if you start doing some normal rituals in your daily life, Mm -hmm. the tools, the situation, the fragrance, or whatever is around you what the abundance or you know the situation the energy that you have built up slowly it start coming in your meditation it start coming in your visuals in your lucid dreams in when when you sleep you know it starts possessing you somehow and when the energy comes to siddhi you know it comes to perfection and it appears actually it embodies something like you worship, you worship, you worship, you keep on doing that. Now, suddenly you have created an egregore. You've created a servitor, you know, Mm -hmm. it's alive now, yeah? Mm -hmm. Then these things can, you know, play with your mind. Mm -hmm. So a strong mind is required so that you do not get depressed or you do not get into identity crisis. Oh my God, what is this? Why am I doing this? Yeah, let's leave it, you know? So that point is uh, for, you know, it comes in, every occultist's life or every worshipper's life that he will get identity crisis he will want to leave you know remove everything yeah why i'm doing this this is all foolish bullshit you know <laughs> but this is the point where master is required and he calms you down he stabilizes your energy and you know he pushes you further so <laughs> for that master is required for certain dark practices which can be little baneful or harmful for mm-hmm. that master is required otherwise there are many self initiatory paths mm-hmm. till the time even the master appears with mm-hmm. your spiritual calling you know your calling the energy from there if mm-hmm. your heart has not called for the master then master is not going to come so what i feel what i have studied and experienced don't run here and there you know mm-hmm. you don't have to run here and there there are self initiatory uh, rituals there which are there which you do and you make Lord Shiva, the living embodiment of Guru in front of you. And it's there, yeah? Mm. And you put all energy into Shiva. You take initiation from Shiva Lingam itself. You Mm. take initiation from cemetery itself. There are many different ways, yeah? And uh, one of which ways I have mentioned in Edward's uh, podcast, one of your friend's podcast, Mm. yeah? Many other forms of initiations are there. You can declare, what you are, you can ask for what you are, and you can get initiated symbolically. And it ha- it holds, it is written in scriptures as well. And many gurus uh, tell many of their ways which are bestowed upon them during meditation, which are told to them in meditation by their energies. Yeah. So uh, yes, self-initiatory path is also there. People can get self initiated and start their practices. It's only advised that you have to have a strong heart. Yeah. First sure. of all, prepare yourself. You have to have a strong heart. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not for Aghori only. I mm-hmm. feel that whosoever dwells into meditation, and if they have done some sort of deeper meditation, one or the other day they will face the identity crisis, they will mm-hmm. face the deep depression. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. later, it's gonna uh, you know you you'll cross that phase, you'll become ocean yourself, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Two or three times in life, these kind of phases are gonna come, and then everything will be fine if you keep continuing the practice and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So only for that, only for certain psychological things, mm-hmm. Guru acts like a psychologist. He acts like an energy. He acts like a protector. Mm-hmm. That's what Guru does. Yeah, rest. If you are initiated by Supreme Master or Grand Wizard or Grand Aghori as well, mm-hmm. but you are not doing your practice daily, mm-hmm. then what good is your initiation for? Sure. Mm-hmm. So self-initiation, I believe in a lot. Mm-hmm. And many of my people, many of my fellow Aghoris, I have seen mm-hmm. that they are self-initiated and much deeper into meditation than some regular big names or mm-hmm. people that I see around
0: Mm. uh the agor tradition is this is there a big difference between like uh like shaivism tantra or in general tantra and agor the agor tradition is it linear is it uh what what would you say are the differences or is it sort of a branch of uh of like shiva tantra
1: well uh you will find Mm -hmm. the agor is Uh, there are many lineages many lineages first of all Mm -hmm. but Aghor is more like a scientist you know Mm -hmm. it's more like they would like to walk alone you know Mm -hmm. there are Nath Sampraday, Nath people who wear a big ring in their ear Mm -hmm. wooden ring their ear is pierced their Mm -hmm. symbol is that they wear a very big ring here and small ring here in the Mm -hmm. nose and big ring here in the Mm -hmm. both sides so they are called Naths called what? Say there are Noth, Naath, N-A-A-T-H, In N-A-A-D-H,
0: okay, Nath. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so in Western occult tradition as well, you would find many people around you. If you just search internet, you would find many people, many Western people who have learned from here and they belong to Naath lineage. Mm-hmm. They, something like, you know, uh, Andrews Nath or something like that, they mm-hmm. keep their Naath lineage with their name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the same way, We can uh, write either Mm Nath with our name or either Aghor with our name. That like Amandeep Aghor or Mm -hmm. Amandeep Nath, something like that. But I don't do that. Uh, These are all symbolic. I don't like uh, changing the names or stuff like that. But it's your choice. If you wish, you can do that. Uh, We were talking about uh, Aghori lineage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Shiva is one lineage. You will find Aghor in Shaiva lineage as well, in Vaishnav lineage as well. Mm-hmm. So for prime deity, uh, for Vaishnav people, Vaishnava mm-hmm. Ghors, their prime deity is Narayan. Their mm-hmm. prime de- deity is Vishnu, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the cosmic Vishnu.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's all symbolic, you know.
2: Sure. After
1: all, Shiva or Vishnu or Shakti, everything is just formless, you
2: mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm.
1: It's mm-hmm. just when it comes into form, it mm-hmm. gives you, it gives the forms to your ideologies that what you are going to practice actually you know mm-hmm. so the aghor comprises of look at shiva he's a blue body you know mm-hmm. so blue body is like you know if i talk about egypt it's goddess Nuit, it mm-hmm. yeah it's the cosmos it's the black sky mm-hmm. yeah blue body it has got animals around his neck snakes so dark energies everything around his neck he has got ashes so stardust is his body, you know, symbolic, you know. Mm-hmm. If I'm worshipping Shiva, I'm worshipping everything, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm worshipping living cosmos around me. Mm-hmm. In the same way, but Shiva is, uh, you know, it has got a property. Mm-hmm. It is benevolent destroyer. A mm-hmm. benevolent destroyer is going to amputate certain things in your life mm-hmm. which are not required. And mm. it will be done brutally. Yeah. Mm. But then you will be safe. Yeah. Vaishnav is a beautiful faith. It's not mm. like, you know, hardcore, you know, strike or something like that. He's mm. not a destroyer, he's a preserver, you know. Right. The whole philosophy changes. Mm. Yeah. So it's just that the philosophy changes. Otherwise, Aghor remains the same. Even the Vaishnav Aghor or the goddess based Aghors or many other different. Tribal lineages, which are even more dangerous Mm -hmm. than what we know cannibalistic agores and whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. were also there. Mm -hmm. But those were also like tribal Mm -hmm. warrior and spiritual clans, something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, Uh -hmm. you know, in old Africa, in old countries, uh, you know, very uh, tribal lineages are there where cannibalistic tribes were Mm -hmm. used to be there. So those were warrior. And spiritual uh, dark practices doing kind of uh, cults in those times. But mm-hmm. nowadays, it's, you know, people have studied a lot, a lot of research has been done. Mm-hmm. And now they know the symbolism, you know, now mm-hmm. they don't have to, blood offering is not required. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is required. It's just symbolic, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have to c- cut the whole animal, it's not required.
0: Mm, okay. no, not required. Okay. So it's changed over time. Uh, The overall view. So when you talk about Sikhism, it's more monotheistic. Is that right? Sort of like Christianity or Islam. However, the Aghor, is this more non dual? Is it not monotheistic? It's more uh, into the non dual uh, view, would you say?
1: Yeah. It is at the end. Mm -hmm. It, you know, it's Aghor is everything. It is everything. It's Shivaite, Vaishnavite, Kali, and but they uh, lay emphasis on the fact that even Kali, even Shiva, even Vaishnava, mm-hmm. you have to reach the formless part. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have to understand the macrocosm and the microcosm. Mm-hmm. So it goes both ways. You know, sure. But only one difference is that in Santamat or in Bhakti Mat or in in the way of a sage, you know. Mm-hmm. They would renounce the world and they would say that this is not important and you know spiritual world is important. Mm-hmm. Aghor lays mm-hmm. emphasis on desires as well.
2: Mm.
1: He's neutral. He's very natural, you know If I'm feeling like eating something, mm-hmm. I will eat. okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then, while I'm chewing, I have to be in meditation.
0: Mm, staying conscious of the process
1: staying conscious yeah Mm -hmm. if i am feeling like having sex nobody's stopping you after all this thing was made for you Mm -hmm. so if you are going to turn off all the buttons Mm -hmm. then you are you know insulting the god why did he put electricity onto your switchboard if Mm -hmm. you if you are going to switch off all the buttons this is nonsense in terms of my yeah so like bible says that if you if you if you uh, I w- I was hearing some pastors mm-hmm. very beautifully explained that if if somebody tries to explain that uh, why was this everything was created if everything is made out of pure energy mm-hmm. God is made made of pure energy mm-hmm. then why all this suffering and what was the fun of creating all this <laughs> so right. the pastor said that you you look upwards and mm-hmm. see the heavens are telling the glory of God. It's for you just to witness and enjoy the glory. But we are not doing that. Mm. Mm. We are stuck in many different things and you know dualities and you know fighting with each other and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. But you look upwards and see how small we are and it's to witness the glory and majesty of God that everything yeah. is open and everything is for you. So right. Aghor is in the same way, recognizes that if you want to have sex, have it. But then go deep into it you know
0: right go be aware be conscious and uh be be uh, like mm-hmm.
1: yeah
0: without attach- it's like
1: worshiping without, your goddess
0: with without reification or attachment to the process rather fully immersion fully aware um you, yeah, using, fully, fully aware yeah using the desires as sort of a vehicle for uh non-duality or enlightenment or the full full experience of the moment so to speak right Exactly, exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. And
1: Aghor recognizes the fact. I will give you a little example that, uh, for example, teenagers or people want to, they are interested and they want to join each other's bodies and they want to have sex. Mm -hmm. Two things. Just two things. As per the philosophy, if I see what people are doing, they make it out, then they are left feeling empty mm-hmm. so have they really enjoyed sex mm. what have they done what button they have pushed so first is thing what well, first thing is even for just a platonic relationship or for meeting or mm-hmm. for physical union mm-hmm. even for that some sort of deep understanding and friendship is required mm-hmm. and we go beyond that mm-hmm. we are not even friends For me, she is goddess, you know,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: we have to worship the goddess so that she can say that she has enjoyed a little bit and I can first go to the physical level, then go to the emotional level, Mm -hmm. you know, touch the heart at least, you know, Mm -hmm. then think about the spiritual level that we have to be enlightened. People are not even enjoying the physical process and they are left feeling empty. Then they're talking about the spiritual process. How is it possible? They don't have, people don't have, which I have seen even in my clients, sexual understanding of each other. We don't understand what she wants or she doesn't understand what I want. Mm -hmm. Even if they understand, they're not trying to do it because they (laughs) want their enjoyment. Yeah, Yeah. selfish, selfish (laughs) enjoyment. Selfish, selfish. First is, sexual understanding and then becomes the sexual respect you know if you have turned on all the buttons of the other person mm-hmm. then it's not a pleasure you know mm-hmm. then it becomes a responsibility mm-hmm. to calm the energy down and to fully love and respect and worship the person so that it settles down somewhere sure mm-hmm. you know now you have with your excitement for your enjoyment you have done everything you have turned all the buttons on of the other person and they are feeling empty and now you're over <laughs> 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 then it's not a gore that's not a gore yeah sure.
0: it's just lust or uh you know so narcissistic you know sex. narcissistic yeah
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so even if you get over you know it's it's not like becoming superhuman you know body is still going to remain body mm-hmm. for a man man's body is still going to remain the man's body you have to understand once a person is over even then the worship of the goddess does not stop in mm-hmm. some or the other way but then now if you are willing to give then the bowl comes into the court of a woman she mm-hmm. must be ready enough to receive as well
2: mm-hmm mm mm-hmm.
1: You know, she should not hurry and not become frustrated or, you know, what what things can happen, you know? So right. it's complete union. It's more like a worship, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's a so dance at least do the,
0: the God and the Goddess, sort of dance.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Exactly. So
0: mm-hmm. oh, I like that.
1: Exactly. It's- this is what Agora recognizes.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious to also for the Agora practices, do they utilize? a lot of the Hindu like yoga systems and chakras, kundalini, do, do they utilize these sort of inner um, subtle body practices as well?
1: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you uh, talk about tantra, tantra is everything. Tantra is actually a network, a system. Yeah. If I know the network, I can swap the cables.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I can swap the ports. Yeah. If one port is not working and if I can, Uh, optimize the system, I can get better results. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for that, I have to know the network, you know, Mm -hmm. so network is the whole cosmos, and our internal connection with the cosmos, if I know the connection, and how to work with it, then that's a Tantra. You know, everything is already into Tantra, it's already a system, I have not created it. As per the Freemasons say, it's Mm -hmm. already created by the great architect. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So what we have to create, we are just manipulating. You know? mm-hmm. We have to know the system. You know? We sure. have to know the system. Sure. So that is Tantra.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There are many lineages, even in Aghor, there is Tantra. Even in Nath lineage, there is Tantra. Even in Naga lineage, there is Tantra. Mm-hmm. So in many lineages, even in Jyotish astrology, mm-hmm. beyond astrology, there is a lot of Yantra, Mantra, and Tantra. There is mm-hmm. different kind of Tantra there. So mm-hmm. many different form of Tantra are there. Mm-hmm. They are present.
0: Mm-hmm. And the yeah. gore tradition- kundalini
1: practices are also done.
0: They're okay, they, also do done. they utilize the chakras and kundalini and things like this. Exactly. Um, exactly. Okay. Uh, also, you had mentioned a lot about these uh, earlier. You were mentioning the gore practices of these sort of like darker practices or sort of sorcery. Yeah. 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 But what sort of role? Because in uh, I, I'm not sure how big of a role that is in like uh, you know Shiva Tantra or whatnot. But in the gore tradition, it seems like it's almost known or it has this. Um, uh, reputation or you know people understand it has a, having these sort of extreme practices or magical practices so what are what are some mm-hmm. like typical um are, could you even almost relate it to like western magical practices of sorcery and manifestation is it similar in that regard or uh, working with spirits working with deities or is it totally a different uh, type of practice
1: now just uh, visualize the mm-hmm. attire of mm-hmm. golden dawn and attire mm-hmm. of uh, a telemite or a typhoonian mm-hmm. or somebody doing Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. It's it's ceremonial practice. Mm-hmm. That is also kind of Tantra, you know, that is also kind of Tantra. But you know, look at the attire, it's more like a uniform and more like uniformity and more like an intellectual, you know, uh, that kind of uh, ambience and look mm-hmm. and feel to that mm-hmm. complete aura. like. You know, uh, an intellectual person, you know, Mm -hmm. but look at Aghor, Mm -hmm. look at their ways, they're more like a sage, you know, they're Mm -hmm. more like a sage, but they are a wild sage, Mm -hmm. jungly sage, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I would equate uh, certain practices of uh, Aghor Mm -hmm. more closer to the tribal practices of shamanism and ancient voodoo systems. Mm Mm -hmm. not even the modern one, the older one in voodoo. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that is also a very deep tantra that they are doing. The ancient shamanism and ancient voodoo practices. Mm They're very deep tantra. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would equate Aghor traditions much closer to those systems. Mm -hmm. Some of the practices would be uh, Shivambu Amrit Prayog. Shivambu Amrit is your own urine, you know, Mm They drink their own urine by enchanting it and, you know, certain other practices are there. They, they drink their own urine. Mm-hmm. It's symbolic. It's symbolic as well. And there are physical benefits as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As it is known that urine is beneficial for our health and there are certain amino acids and, you know, mm-hmm. many minerals, which were not being absorbed by your body earlier. Now mm-hmm. body reconnects with your urine, your oh. DNA, and she starts absorbing those nutrients as well, which mm-hmm. she was not absorbing earlier. You mm-hmm. command your body then, in certain mm-hmm. way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Shivambu Amrit is said to kind of increase your immunity. Mm. For, a yogi, for a yogi, he needs to have a fit body in order to uh, a physically, internally well body, in order to meditate. If the stomach is aching, if the back is aching and then he has got migraine, then nobody can meditate. So this Shivambu Amrit is very good for internal body. Yeah. For cleansing as well. Mm. And Shivambu Amrit is also said to stop your your age. You know, Mm. it is said to kind of stop your age. And you know, many Chinese herbal products, many Chinese herbal, ancient medicines were, uh, especially of sexual issues which arise in men later on and women later on yeah so it is created by your own urine you know mm-hmm. they boil the urine and collect the residue and create small tablets out of it and then they are uh, with added with herbs and they are given to you something like that so mm-hmm. this is also kind of a medicinal practice mm-hmm. for the body
0: <clears throat> interesting okay something so like you that utilize these uh, excrements urine and other things for a ritual yes, practice? Yes, yes,
1: exactly. Oh, okay. For very ritual good.
0: practice. Okay, very interesting. And uh,
1: mm-hmm. worshipping in front of dead bodies in cemeteries, uh, that is also done there. We go to cemeteries for some other practices as well. Mm-hmm. But I personally haven't uh, done practices by sitting naked on a dead body. Mm-hmm. I personally don't do that. But yeah. uh, there are mm-hmm. other sects of sadhus Who are not living with families they do that kind of practice practice and Mm. they also take out as symbolic which Mm. is the lowest form of thing which you can think some aghori or anyone can do as a symbolic practice they take out the stool of the dead body with their finger
2: oh wow and then
1: they have to keep it in us there there is called white colored batasha that's a sweet that they eat Yeah, even uh, Batasha, you can eat, but what they will do, they will put the stool of a dead body as a symbol, then Mm. they enchant it, yeah, Mm. and put some other substance over there, and then they eat it symbolically, Mm. that they are eating the body of that, the dead flesh.
0: Mm. It's sort of transmuting these, something like that, kind of a transmutation, alchemical process. Alchemical. Uh, kind of
1: alchemical process yes it is Ah, okay.
0: <laughs> oh, very interesting very interesting i'm curious uh, yeah. i saw a book series on the agories. there's like a three book series i think somebody sort of um it might have been a western author who spent time with them and sort of wrote it, it was like three books on maybe spending time with them the some of the practices and what he saw but are there any i'm sure there are a lot but are there any specific texts that you would recommend that are there like practice manuals like practice tantras people read or what are some of the main uh, books that people go over in this tradition or is it just so many of them that you can't really so
1: many <laughs> of them are there so many of them yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Okay. Uh, well the best texts mm-hmm. in tantra that you will find you won't find much of the darker practices or whatever we are doing mm-hmm. uh, there are some people who are related to southern part of India? They are much more into publishing books on tantras. You know, mm-hmm. the northern part, in my part, mm-hmm. people rather, you know, they go into the gurus and learn the practices themselves. There are many mountain places here where sadhus are there and sages are there. I have three gurus myself and uh, get got training from them. So there is one master which was uh, he is. He's uh, no more now, but uh, he had published a lot of books. His name is Gurudev Shri Mali. Shri Mali, you know. But that is also a specific form of Tantra. Tantra is vast. It is called Shri Vidya. The most popular Tantra is Shri Vidya. Yeah. And the other form is Tara Vidya, which also comes into Vajrayana.
0: Mm, Tara, okay. Like green. Yes. Tara, yeah. yeah. So
1: in our system as well, there is Tara, which is quite popular.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, in which you can find different books. Mm-hmm. Other one is Sri Vidya. And the last one is uh, you can say those are generally brighter practices okay. which you will find in the books. But mm-hmm. my work like cemetery practice and stuff like that all these work, ritual workings you have to sit and see actually. So once you have done practically, and once you have received the initiation, then mm-hmm. it's your solitary path, you know, mm-hmm. then you keep doing those things and fetch your energy directly from the cemetery, fetch sure. your energy directly from the temple, from mm-hmm. cosmos, which is forbidden, one thing which is forbidden, that mm-hmm. you fetch the energy from some living person that is vampiric that we don't do but you fetch the energy from cemetery from mm-hmm. cosmos from trees from whatever you can mm-hmm. not the living beings yeah
0: mm-hmm. and do it you know i mm-hmm. have yeah, very interesting so there are but- it's like in terms of the uh, different tantras and different deities there's like the wrathful in vajrayana too you have like for example uh, yamantaka Chakrasamvara, vajra kalaya these are more wrathful you know, looks scary, like, right? They uh, yeah, yeah uh, get yeah. rid of obstacles by force and fire and wrath, right? And then you have the other ones like Tara who are more benevolent, uh, compassionate, lighter. Yeah. So it's very similar in that regard, I would, I would imagine. Right? Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Okay. The oh, tantra great. works in the same way, actually. Sure. And uh, only uh, the books that you will find, uh,
0: mm-hmm. there
1: are many good books as well, but uh, truly saying, I would recommend that you mm-hmm. talk to somebody, yeah, mm-hmm. and sit with them. And understand their rituals even Mm -hmm. different families of tantra you would find different rituals you know my family of tantra would not follow the shri vidya i'm not into shri vidya shri vidya is a completely different philosophy Mm -hmm. mine is shamshan tantra shamshan means cemetery tantra Mm -hmm. and the other is kamakya yoni tantra yoni means the vagina of goddess you know Mm -hmm. and now it's a philosophy you know there is no vagina out there in the cosmos but mm-hmm. i'm i'm watching goddess as a huge womb mm-hmm. and huge entry mm-hmm. and huge source of pleasure what is mm-hmm. that for us that muladhar and uh, vaginal part is uh, beauty it's attraction you know we are attracted naturally attracted to it. So obviously if i am mm-hmm. visualizing that goddess cosmic yoni in front of me mm-hmm. then obviously i'm much more in meditation mm-hmm. naturally i'm sure. attracted towards it yeah mm-hmm. sure and if i also if i'm getting a package you know mm-hmm. she's my lover she's sure. my mother sure she's a cosmic mother as well
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah mm-hmm. and she is a grand wizard she's mm-hmm. everything she's a complete package so mm-hmm. I'm getting a lover, a mother, a womb, everything in one package. So whole cosmos becomes a yoni and a womb for me. Mm-hmm. So it's just a philosophy. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. I like that. Okay. That's very good. Very interesting. You have a very uh, eclectic approach. It seems like you draw upon uh, many different traditions. You had mentioned uh, earlier Sikhism, Agor. And then on our we had a call uh, before the podcast a couple of days ago, and you had mentioned a little bit about Sufism too. So what um, I have a couple questions, actually, so what, what's the influence or what sort of role does Sufism play in your practice? And then also, I'm just curious that, uh, I, I mean, me as well, I'm all involved in different traditions as well, but so when I meet fellow people like you, I'm curious what inspired you to um, be so, uh, what would you say, eclectic in your approach as well?
1: Well, I feel personally, if if you Read the texts of, you know, the life story of Guru Nanak. Mm-hmm. If you read the life story of Rumi, mm-hmm. the Sufi poets, mm-hmm. Shamsi Tabriz and uh, Mia Mansur Al Halaj, many different Sufi poets and mm-hmm. Sikh gurus and some Hindu saints like Kavi Kalidas, Surdas, and many other different, uh, you know, sages are out there. You name them. But one thing is common, you know, they are all global people. Mm. Mm. They are all global people and all were liberals. They all broke boundaries. They may have given you code of conduct, but it was not, it was not destined for us to visualize and just follow those ways and codes of conduct blindly, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at least see them. Your masters, yourself, are hugely global and Mm -hmm. liberal people. They are not strict at all. Mm -hmm. They have opened your intellect. Mm -hmm. And hence, by reading those masters, I have reached the point since a long time that, you know, even though I do not agree to your ways, if... That is the case. Even then, if I uh, see that you know light can be turned on with your button as well. So that means my button is also working, your button is also working. Mm-hmm. So main thing is the current which is coming from the back end to the switchboard. Mm. Yeah, So if your ways are also working and they are solving the problems of your clients, mm-hmm. you know? Then do the needful, you know? Mm -hmm. That is what higher sages. First point is that you follow the code of conduct. But once you reach a certain level, Mm -hmm. then obviously you are going to be global because you know that Mm -hmm. if his ways works, then why not push that button and benefit certain people out of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: After all, it is working, you know. Right. And it is going to be add on in your kitty and even yeshua they were not stick to one culture
2: mm-hmm.
1: many disciples of yeshua came to india as well and christianity mm-hmm. as you told that it's not new to india mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah sure so
1: sure. they were global people
0: right very global so Hence,
1: i'm eclectic
0: yeah yeah it's different tools in your toolkit so to speak right different approaches yes, yes, different exactly. goals that you can apply, right? And you, you're from the Punjab region. I'm very curious, why, why is that such a diverse region? As you mentioned, we have Sikhism, or Hindu Tantra, Vajrayana, Sufism, Islam, <laughs> Christianity. You know I mean, the list can yes, go on, yes. you know? So why, why do you think that that region is so uh, rich with tradition? What is it about that region?
1: Well, you see the geography of India, yeah. And now you see the geography of Punjab. Just if you open up the map, Punjab now is a small region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still quite wide, but comparatively quite smaller. Uh, comparative to what it was earlier, you know, mm-hmm. from current Punjab, from current Punjab to Afghanistan, it was all Punjab itself. Uh, mm-hmm. Punjab was huge. You know, it was ancient Mohenjo-daro and Harappa civilization, that was Punjab. Yeah. And whole Pakistan was Punjab. Mm. Pakistan was also part of Punjab. And then Afghanistan, that was also part of Punjab. So Punjab was a huge place. Mm. Now, when, after uh, a lot of uh, uh, invaders, Islamic invaders, British rule, and you see the geography, Punjab is the gate. You know, exactly. Punjab people were farmers. They were very peaceful people. But if, you know, that is the only gate and easily accessible, rich culture and rich with minerals, rich with agriculture. Mm-hmm. So obviously, invaders are going to come for some kind of trade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the gate. And hence, slowly, Punjabi people, our people became warriors. And warrior culture also came here because they used, they had to, fight with the invaders
2: mm-hmm.
1: somehow at some point they had to first romans uh, culture came then islamic as well came then british as well came otherwise sufi culture uh, was was and christian mm-hmm. it was already coming you know many sages were already coming and going so mm-hmm. it has no connection with the invaders invaders mm-hmm. is a different thing that's a purely political and social stuff mm-hmm. for you know uh, minerals and agriculture and for stuff and money and stuff like that mm-hmm. but you see the geography mm-hmm. Punjab is that's why it is so rich that whosoever comes here it leaves the impression of their culture their music mm-hmm. their religion mm-hmm. yeah their spirituality everything you know even their attire mm-hmm. so you will find three main religions here in Punjab one is Hinduism which was prime, second came Christianity, third, Sufi people, Islamic and Sufi people, yeah? And fourth is Sikhism. Mm -hmm. You'll find four faiths, main faiths here Mm -hmm. in Punjab region, and it's a blend of everything. And people go everywhere, mostly uh, very conservative people are also there, but mostly, if I meet friends and anyone, I would go to a Sufi temple as well. And I would go to a Hindu temple as well. I'm going to Sikh temple as well. And, uh, you know, places, places are there to go here. And people are quite global here. Mm.
0: Do they live in side by side in peace, would you say? Or is there a lot of uh, strife and uh, fighting, no, no. in-group fighting, not so much?
1: No, no. Even only, only uh, uh, if certain political parties for their benefits they do something only then there can be little strife otherwise here people are quite global you know Mm. if I go beyond if I go back in the previous times trust me I would find even more open and global culture in Punjab than it's now
0: Mm. okay yeah sure there's a lot of trade going on between uh, there and the West and China and all yes, over.
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: Sort of a crossroads, as you mentioned, between different continents. Exactly. And empires. and Different things. continents. Sure. Exactly.
2: Mm,
0: OK, very interesting. Um, mm. What I like about uh, talking to you, too, is you do also draw a lot of analogies with Western occultism. And uh, yeah, I'm yeah. very curious, how did you get interested in Western occultism? How did you get exposed to that? And um, does that have a big presence in India? Are there a lot of, for example, people interested in these, you know, Thelemic practices or uh, her- hermeticism and things along those lines? Are, there, are they popular in India as well?
1: Well, my uh, interest towards uh, the Western practice, I would give, uh, you know, main uh, mm-hmm. credit to Yeshua. Because I was very much attracted towards this character, Yeshua. And, you know, I, I will, I will uh, give you the name of one movie, which I used to watch a lot, which <laughs> is made by Mel Gibson, Passion of Christ. Oh, okay. That movie. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah? Yeah. And I would see the kind of martyrism that he did. And still, he has got the capability and power the cosmic energy inside that person to say that, mm-hmm. Lord, these people forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Mm. Even though they are piercing his body with arrows and stuff like that, mm-hmm. he is God slashing him with you know, uh, hooks mm-hmm. and ripping off his body. Right. That person has got the beauty and power of cosmos, power of forgiveness mm-hmm. to utter these words. Mm-hmm. Lord, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. So I got interested in Yeshua a lot. Mm -hmm. And I start studying Yeshua, his philosophies. It's very deep. And I find that Sufi people, Yeshua and his personality, Mm -hmm. just uh, look at his, you know, uh, that his ideas, the way his ideas Mm -hmm. never matched with the traditional rabbis of Jewish faith.
0: Uh, Ah, yes, 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 yes.
1: In in those ways, he was quite global. In those Mm -hmm. ways, he was quite Sufi. Like Sufi people are quite liberal more Mm -hmm. than Islam. Mm -hmm. Sufi people is not traditional Islam. In the same way, even though being a Jew, Yeshua was not a Jew. He -hmm. was a human. Mm -hmm. He was a human. Mm -hmm. And then he was a Messiah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And... He was more like a Sufi. From his personality, I got interested into Sufi faith as well. What these people are saying. Now I see that their poetry has got the same essence of love which Yeshua carries. Mm -hmm. Now I study them deeper. Mm -hmm. I find the lineages of Yeshua and Sufism, not in Islam, not in Christianity, but I find their, 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 uh, their essence starting from the mystery schools of Egypt. Mm-hmm. That's where stu- Sufism starts from. That's where I have heard and I have read, whatsoever I have read, that even Mose, uh, Mos- uh, Moshe, as Moses, rabbis Moses. used to, uh-huh. Moses, mm-hmm. Moses and uh, uh, Yeshua and many other people got their initiations from mystery schools of Egypt and even Sufi people got, you know, mm-hmm. their Initiations from mystery schools of Egypt as well. Mm -hmm. Then they traveled across many different places. Yeah, Islam also plays a very vital role. Christianity also plays a vital role, but those are just milestones, you know. The Mm -hmm. origin points, the origin points is the pyramids of Egypt. Mm -hmm. The sands of Egypt is the birth point of Yeshua's philosophy, the Christos, the logos, the philosophy of Christos. Yeah. And everything. So yeah. hence, I got interested into biblical magic and biblical wizardry. Mm-hmm. I'm, I used to do uh, practices and a uh, lot of discussions with Christian witches, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. No, interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: The ladies, uh, there are certain groups which are Christian witches and they respect the philosophies of Yeshua and they do certain Abrahamic Sabbaths and practices, so which is very beautiful. I like that a lot and I find it going backwards to Egypt. So kemitism Kemet, yes. and Kemetian magic mm-hmm. is, is one of the things that I love and I do. Mm-hmm. And then Biblical and then Sufism, those are the three points which Makes me much more interested into Western occult philosophy, and then comes a person who clubs everything and then gives you, you know, a thing which is beyond, you know. Then I read Crowley, and Crowley is, you know, he has done great work, he's done some great work, although I do not uh, uh, agree to certain points, but still, he has done a lot of great work, a lot of great work. You will find Babylon there. You would find Pan there. You would find Lucifer there. You will find Egyptian philosophy there. So he comprises everything and gives the nutshell what exactly different societies and different cultures are talking about. And you should find the crux. And then he says, then I do not want to father the flocks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want everyone to cut their way through the jungle. That's what Aghor is saying. Cut your own way through the jungle. Lead your solitary practice, get initiated or get self-initiated, then walk the path. Mm. You will find not one, but thousands of masters in the jungle when you're alone.
0: Mm. Okay, yeah, I, I like that approach. Um, in India per se, though, you had mentioned that you met like Christian witches and you got into these um, uh, you know, Western esoteric traditions, are there a lot of people in India doing this? Or not really? Is it, no, is it... no, no. Yeah, because my impression is that it's not as prevalent in India, these sort of practices.
1: No, 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 it's not It's not prevalent. Uh, if you talk about the golden dawn, people don't know anything about it. If you talk about, the uh, you know, cult of Black Sun or Freemasonry, mm-hmm. they only know about the triangle with the eye and something sort of Illuminati that is yeah. would... It is somewhere there in the world. <laughs> Otherwise, they don't know anything about uh, the Western magic. But they are familiar with this term, witchcraft. Only that. Mm-hmm. Only mm-hmm. that they are aware of. Yeah. And some sure. people know a little bit of voodoo. Yeah. Okay. But I had a lot of phone conversations and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, we used to make a lot of documentation mm-hmm. and experiment with Christian witches. Mm-hmm. So I used to type something along long. Detail of stuff and experiment and send me my stuff and they used to send me their points and then we used to collab and talk over phones and chats and you know and then I traveled to places that uh, you know somebody referred me that in India there is one of our disciples like this you go there and talk to them you know so by traveling and talking to different people I collected a hell lot of things and found. Yeah lot of things to be very similar in essence. So talking about witchcraft and Western magic, I think you will find it in our financial capital, Mumbai, Mm -hmm. because it's very advanced. It's Mm -hmm. melting point of all the cultures Mm -hmm. kind of. yeah. And in the southern part where you will find Bengal, why? Because during British rule, Bengali people used to have very good jobs, Mm. you know, in British rule.
0: (laughs) I can hear you, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm
1: -hmm. So during British rule, they used to, uh, there is a lot of impression of British culture and Western culture in Bengal and southern part of India because uh, people there used to be very educated and people there in the, northern, uh, in the Southern part, they used to hold very big uh, offices and very big positions along with the British uh, government at mm-hmm. those times. And obviously Christianity, influence of Christianity mm-hmm. and oppo- opposite to Christianity, but that was also part of Western magic, mm-hmm. a bit of Bika, you know? Sure modern Wicca and traditional witchcraft you will find in Bengal, mm. some places yeah some high priestesses and priests are secretively uh, practicing that, but mm. now they are coming in open
2: yeah
1: mm. I've recently seen certain advertisements uh, in Bengal of different people being mm. initiated in Wicca and they are doing authentic work. And in southern part of India, in southern part of India, you will find where there is uh, Christianity opposite to that, there is also another cult which is wow. antichrist cult <laughs> satanic kind of magic yeah hmm. so that is also prevalent in the southern part of india so they practice some kind of satanic witchcraft hmm. and uh, the traditional witchcraft is also practiced in certain ways something like a hedge witch yeah hmm. these two or three practices witchcraft hmm. wicca and little bit of voodoo i would hmm. say these kind of practices you might find in mumbai the capital city and mm. the southern part of India, but golden dawn, ceremonial magic, Typhonians, and uh, this kind of ceremonial setup you would not mm. find here.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting. But you you have uh, taken part in these kind of practices as well, right? As uh, well, ceremonial magic, I'm, or not really?
1: Uh, I admire ceremonial magic. I mm. admire them a lot, but uh, uh, in my practices. I use certain Aghori ceremonies yeah, and certain mixed ceremonies with different other ways. But mm-hmm. I'm much more, practically what I'm into, I'm much more into traditional Aghori system. Egyptian, Egyptian can be called as, uh, they are both sides on Egyptian uh, magic. I have seen uh, Egyptian magic as very ritualistic as well, mm-hmm. like we do. Yeah. And ceremonial as well, like Golden Dawn does. Mm -hmm. So I'm also into that, but not traditionally. I can say I'm into Golden Dawn. No, I'm not into traditionally into Golden Dawn. I study them. I admire them. But there are certain Egyptian practices in ceremonial craft in Egyptian that we do. Yeah. And there are certain ceremonial practices created by Christian witches that I do. Which are somewhat, you can say, related to LBRP, somewhat related to LBRP, lesser banishing ritual of pentagram or something like that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, So these kind of practices I'm into. Yes, ceremonial magic runs along, Mm -hmm. but not, you know, uh, grand setup like uh, Golden Dawn or Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. So uh, for that, a complete uh, facility has to be there you know uh, sure there has to be if i start doing there uh, doing this kind of stuff and people start coming there then mm-hmm. suddenly police will also come and <laughs> what you guys are doing yeah that's funny that's so funny
0: this is
1: this is the reason yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. How uh, can you share a little bit about? Uh, you have a group called the Violet Flames, and you yeah, mentioned yeah. you offer um, some services and uh, programs. Can you talk a little bit about what the Violet Flames is and what um, sort of services you offer for your clients?
1: Yes, surely. Well, Violet Flames uh, is the name, which uh, you know, came from the image or energies that we used to see while meditation, and uh, it's purple and violet is the color of crown chakra, you know. Mm-hmm. So these are the violet flames. So from our, you know, from our muladhar or the root chakra, our consciousness is destined to go to the violet flames. Mm-hmm. And violet flames is also the color of wizardry, of ancient wizards, magic, you know. And uh, it's quite a potent color. So uh, that is why we kept the name Violet Flames. Under that, we are, why I named Violet Flames? Because if I keep the name as even something related to Aghori, even mm-hmm. then people will get terrified. So, so you know, uh, so that, because people have many misconceptions, even in India, about aghori mm-hmm. So Violet Flames is a very beautiful name. It's about crown chakra. It's about magic. And I'm talking about the inner flame of Kundalini as well in that. So we offer Aghori initiations and initiation in our Egyptian or, you know, this kind of uh, ceremonial stuff as well, whosoever is interested in that. Mm -hmm. Primarily, most of the people who come to us, obviously, uh, very few people know about the Western part. So those whoever come to us, we give them the initiations in Aghori, uh, Mm -hmm. or the softer bhakti mark, Mm -hmm. meditation, stuff like that mm-hmm. and beyond that we offer tarot card uh, reading, dream reading, photo reading and uh, water spraying, stuff like that, pendulums and many other different readings of aghori ways in which we give remedies to people for their career, life and everything mm-hmm. and also people want then we uh, do the exorcism parts mm-hmm. on people's houses by clearing negative energy and mm-hmm. if there are any demonic entities or something like that if they feel so first we do the test if it is there actually then Mm. the exorcisms and things like that are done so these are the kind of services that we offer and much more okay interesting this Uh, is what Wild flame is
0: yeah very interesting you also mentioned tarot cards is that popular out in india i was surprised because i live here in south korea and i never thought that tarot cards would be popular here you know I, i correlate that more with western countries and uh, you know, America or Europe, but in Korea, like everywhere, you see tarot cards everywhere. So I was a little bit shocked yeah, about yeah. that. How about in India? Is it quite similar in that regard? Is it quite a, a popular tool of divination?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in India, in previous times, there used to be, uh, uh, you know, certain papers called Bail Patra, you know, mm-hmm. Bail Patra, in which old texts are kept since ages. So, Those were the first kind of, uh, you know, there would be symbolic representations, mantras and chants written on those papers. Mm -hmm. So there would be 50, 58, something like these kind of papers used to be there. Those were Indian ways of reading at those times. So those were called Indian tarot cards at those times. And another form was there would be parrot jyotish or parrot astrology. Mm -hmm. So they... uh, all the astrologists used to keep a parrot with them Mm -hmm. and the parrot would go and select one card. Mm -hmm. So those cards used to be Indian cards, the Mm -hmm. old ways. Now Mm -hmm. they are lesser in use, Mm -hmm. but nowadays people are more towards radar white cards. They are more explanatory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the Indian cards used to be more like oracle cards. You know, they are more pictorial. They're more Mm -hmm. into visualization and stuff like that. Okay. It gives you more visual. Tarots are more into symbolism and major arcana, minor mm-hmm. arcana, mm-hmm. and they tell the specific stuff. So nowadays, tarot, uh, Osho tarot, Osho Zen tarot is quite popular here. Oh, so okay. there is.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So there is a, a ancient sage. Uh, called Sai Baba. So Sai Baba Tarots is also very famous nowadays. Kali Tarots are also there. Indian God Tarots are there. And wow. Raider White, of course, it is also there. Oh,
0: They're quite popular in India. Wow, interesting. I haven't heard of these ones. I'll have to check it out sometime. It sounds quite yeah, interesting. Surely, surely. Yeah, different edition. It so is. Where, where can um, people find uh, your services and your website?
1: Well, they can uh, find uh, me on Facebook and Instagram with the name, The Violet Flames, and uh, uh, there are numbers given as well. They can directly WhatsApp me or they can inbox me and uh, whatever their issues is there, we just ask for their photograph and their date of birth or their mother's and father's name so that we can get connected mentally to their bloodline and get the readings perfectly. Mm -hmm. And then the process starts, then we tell them the remedies and stuff like that.
0: Okay, yeah, sounds great. Well, uh, we're almost yeah. about ninety minutes here. I really enjoyed this chat, and you know, maybe in the future we can do a, a part two because I feel like we only scratched the surface, you know, on some of the topics. We only got yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we got we got uh, some good information, good conversation, but uh, I'm sure we could definitely do another one another time and go even deeper, perhaps. Surely, surely. Different topics, exactly, but, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Really enjoyed having you on, and thanks so much for Thank here, mate. I'll have uh, your Facebook uh, group and your website in the uh, show notes so uh, people can check you out and uh, get into touch with you. So, yeah,
1: thank you. For thank you. On. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Take care, mate. You too. You too. Bye uh, bye. Bye bye. Yeah. Let's see. It's not.
2: Yeah. Oh, what happened? Yeah. 40...